from the newsroom of The Washington Post. ¿Cómo estás? Te habla Elisa Hernández del Washington Post. This is Cleve Lutzen with The Washington Post. It's Ellen Nakashima with The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, April 17th. Today, inside the life of a healthcare worker battling COVID at home, and voices from an ICU in Brooklyn. Thanks for calling the 3rd Avenue Manhattan Home Depot. This call may be recorded. As an essential retailer, Home Depot is open from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. today. In one... Yes, hi. My name is Al. I was wondering if you guys had any of the P100 masks in or... No, we don't have any masks. I'm not talking about the N95, but like even the respirators for the for painting. You're good to go. No, we don't have any. Okay. We're, we're sold out. So not even, not even the non-disposable ones, the respirators? No, ma'am. Nothing at all. Okay. They bought it all. Do you know when? Do you know when you guys are getting new shipments in? With everything that's going on, it's hard for the warehouse for the vendors to give us a date. So we're not sure. Okay, but just on average, when does the supply come in? Like, if I wanted to come in and check, does it come like every night or? For the math, no. It's very, very random. If we get any, we got some yesterday. Ran like, but we weren't expecting to get any, and then we sold out within the first four hours. Okay, so... So it's better to call at 7 a.m. to see if we got any overnight. Okay, because I'm just trying to secure as many as I can for the hospital emergency room. So is there... Do you know if they're going to be getting more tonight, or is it only during the weekday? Once again, we only get deliveries Monday through Friday, but we're not sure Monday if through Friday. we're going to okay. get until the truck gets here. I understand. I understand. Thank you for your help. You're welcome. Bye-bye. My name is Alla Douglas. I'm 32 years old. I'm a PA in the emergency room at a hospital in the Bronx. I am currently at home recovering with my husband and daughter after contracting the COVID virus. So, um, when my first symptoms came on, it was Sunday night. I started feeling just really tired and fatigued. Um, I thought it was just some anxiety about going to work the next day. So I um, went to bed, woke up at 5.30 for my 7 a.m. shift. I felt that my heart was beating really quickly. I had a little higher temperature. I think it was like 100.4. Um, I went to work when I got there. Some of uh, my colleagues were like, you don't look well, you should do, you should go home. So I um, got tested and I left. And um, two days later, I got the results that I was positive indeed. Um, I started experiencing really bad headaches, um, really bad body aches, um, and just just tired, like just in bed all day. Um <clears throat> During this whole time, obviously, we have not left the house, me and my family. Um, as long as I saw little improvements daily, that was enough for me. Um, I did lose my sense of smell. 
Uh, but that didn't happen early on in the virus. Hi. That happened on later on. Hi. I noticed that um, my my husband was telling me that my baby's diaper needed to be changed, and I couldn't smell anything. So <laughs> there's just a lot of things going on in my head right now. of how sick you are you can never can never take a break from being a mom um been thinking a lot about going back to work today uh, received a call from my manager who you know was wondering how i was doing and seeing when i would be ready to go back there's so many things that come into play here i am scared i'm, I'm scared of going back um and with so much that we don't know about this virus in regards to immunity, everyone is saying that most likely you're immune, but there's nothing guaranteed. There's just not that many studies. We just don't know that much information yet. Um, and then there's the logistics involved. So I usually take a train, a subway, to um, the Bronx, where my hospital is located, and I live in lower Manhattan. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's all a scary thought. And then there's the childcare logistics as well. So, I don't want her to, and especially with my kid, because I don't know if, if my kid has it, when did she get it, right? Especially because kids are usually very uh, mild symptoms or asymptomatic. Um, so there's that that comes into play as well. Um, I'm very anxious at this point. And, you know, just trying to work things out in my head because I want to be there. I want to support my colleagues. And I'm trying to as much as I can by being at home and finding PPE and calling around and vetting sources and making sure that these N95s are legit because I want to take care of them. I want to take care of us. But it's a lot. My husband, Matt, has been pretty supportive in my decision to go back to work. We've had a lot of conversations about what that means, both emotionally, physically, and, um, you know, how this is going to be a hard week for both of us. There's a struggle between trying to take care of your own, which would be yourself and your immediate family, and your, your daughter, or you know, abiding by what you to be, deem to be your Hippocratic oath, and going to the hospital and serving on the front lines in the emergency room again at a time when they're pitching tents in Central Park and they're saying that 100,000 people nationally will die. If New York is the epicenter of that. You could assume 30,000 of those may be in New York. That's what you're about to enter. You never signed up for the military. You signed up for a hospital, but you find yourself now at war. So you're asking yourself, did you sign up for this? I signed up to help people. I signed up to help sick people on the front line. That's what the emergency room is, right? You didn't sign up for war. This is war. The president himself said it. Called it the invisible enemy. It's war. 
and you you contracted the disease to start with because you didn't have the proper equipment. And you still don't have the proper equipment. You have to go set up a GoFundMe just so you can secure proper equipment for, for yourself and for the other ER practitioners. Okay, it wasn't to secure, it's to have additional. Yeah, no. Because everyone's on national shortage, it's everyone. Right. But that's not acceptable. How do you go to battle without, without basic attire, boots, uh, military vests, rifles, guns, whatever it is? You're going in there bare. You go in there with very little equipment. So basically our entry scenario, you don't even trust the institution itself to provide you safety. That's another reason why it's kind of like, why do it? can't trust the institution that you're going there to serve to, to safeguard you. I trust that they're going to safeguard me. They didn't safeguard you the first time. That was early on. So you were serving COVID patients and they were telling you active, active practitioners and physicians at the hospital at that time, don't even bother putting on a mask. It goes against all see all the guidelines of it. That no, CDC. they said don't put on an N95 mask unless you know that it's a known COVID patient. And that was at the beginning of things. It was a surgical mask. So I was wearing surgical mask. Well, the fact that you got it from there clearly means there was some something that went wrong. Something there was something that faltered. And you're throwing yourself back into the same situation here. Hi, um, my name is Ala. I'm calling from one. Uh, we were trying to see if you guys had any masks in store. Are there even like the P100 masks that the painters use? And what about like the, um, you know, those ventilator face masks that people wear when they, when they, no, no. Okay. All right. Oh, that's amazing. Is, are they, do you know if they're N95s or? Okay, thank you so much. Do you know how much you guys can, you guys have? The paint mask, okay. You said, um, I can come by later today and pick those up for us. I really appreciate it. I'll bring my ID. Thanks, bye-bye. Nine twenty p.m. We are getting ready for our daughter to go to bed. Of course, way past her regular bedtime of 8 p.m., but there's no rules anymore because there's not much routine anymore. Mama, sit down. Let's read. Okay, let's read. What is this? Duck. Ball. Bicycle. So today, um, after calling multiple Home Depots, we were able to secure some respirator masks. Teddy bear? Teddy bear. Yeah. 
I was calling to find out how to purchase them, and they actually donated them, along with face shields. It was so, so endearing. That's a flower. It's a butterfly. It's a sky. Nana has a teddy? Yeah, she does. No, don't bring it. We have to read now, and then we're going to go to sleep, okay? You want to see the teddy? Yes. Really excited about the small gains that we have daily. As well as the kindness and generosity you see from everybody everywhere. It really makes you want to do more. Okay, one more book and then we have to go to sleep, okay? Okay. Okay. Two. Can you say toucan? Toucan. Good job. Toucan is a birdie. No, no, it's time for bed. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. No. A local Home Depot um, in Brooklyn is coming to drop off an order, I mean, a, a donation of PPE. The manager, Nikita, there was amazing and actually is driving an actual Home Depot truck from Brooklyn all the way here just to drop it off. so much we're going to be following up with you guys and sending you thank you photos and us wearing them and how much it's going to help so i really appreciate it no problem. thank you, you so it? much you it? yeah it's okay. fine thanks guys all right it is april 6th the day before i go back to work in the emergency room you have to tell me um, for this, the newspaper, like, what do you think about just like who I am as a person? Obviously, you know me better than anyone else. Um, okay. Do I need to do, uh, introduce myself or anything? Yes. Okay. So, uh, my name is Muhammad Yusuf. I am a gastroenterology fellow in the upstate New York, Pennsylvania area. And that Douglas is my sister. Watching you grow up and watching, you know, um, you have a very unapologetic determination. What you can, yeah, you can, no. you can, you can talk about uh, how stubborn I am too. That's fine. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be good. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I mean, it's a good stubbornness. It's a good stubbornness. <laughs> I think that you know everything that comes. You know, it's 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 a it's a stubbornness that you use. I don't. I think the term that we learned in uh, psychology is sublimation. So taking something that wouldn't necessarily be regarded as a good trait and turning it into an amazing thing that helps benefit you and those around you. So, you know, you're, you, you've uh, sublimated with your stubbornness and that you've utilized that stubbornness for a good cause. And, you know, now that stubbornness is going to put $50,000 plus worth of medical personal protective equipment in the hands of the people on the front line. So mm. in that regard, I think the stubbornness really paid off Yeah. for all of us here. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm confident it will, you know, as uh, we see everyone work together. And, you know, your story is kind of a great example of that. I yeah. think that you, humankind will persevere. Yeah. Just as we have in the past. I hope so. I'm worried about tomorrow. I keep getting, like, all of these messages, like, oh, this person passed away or 
this, you know, this co-worker's mother that worked in this department and, you know, they're telling us on TV, oh, this is going to be the worst week for New York. Like, this is going to be um, the most cases, you know, deteriorating and decompensating. So it's it's a lot to think about, you know, and not just yeah, me. And, uh, number one, let me say that I'm not 100% comfortable with the idea yet either. And, you know... We would all love for you not to put yourself and your family at risk. Mama and Baba have already fun. said that a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think that that you know this is this is the uh, this is the story of a medical professional in the United States today. Unfortunately, yeah. every day we put our lives on the line, and I can say that I'm not worried necessarily about my own life, but more importantly, what we worry about is those that we love and those around us. Yeah. So when it comes to you going back to work, I mean, it's 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 kind of a difficult position. And in one way, I'm very proud of you for the sacrifice that you're making. Uh, but in another way, I'm worried. You know, mm-hmm. it's not easy. Yeah. Uh. I trust in your decision making. And, uh, you know, I trust in your commitment to everything. So, I just got here walking into my shift now. Hi guys. All up forever. <laughs> you already had COVID. So. <laughs> Welcome back. Happy you're okay. Thank you. Excited to be back. I'm actually really scared. So <laughs> everything looks a hundred percent different than when I left. So. This story first appeared on All Told, another podcast produced here at The Post. All Told is doing a special series of firsthand stories from Americans living through the coronavirus pandemic. Find a link in our show notes and at postreports.com, or look for All Told wherever you get your podcasts. And now, one more thing from Post video journalist John Gerberg. I went to Maimonides Hospital in Borough Park, Brooklyn, with uh, my colleague Lenny Bernstein. He's the health and medicine reporter at The Post. At the time, it was April 1st. It was about a week out from what was projected to be the peak of the coronavirus pandemic in New York City. 
And we wanted to see a couple of things. We wanted to see how they were faring with the crisis already, um, but also how they were gearing up and expanding their ability to prepare for uh, what was certain to get much, much worse. The situation is is pretty dire. And the nurses are are overworked and they're understaffed. You know, some nurses have already tested positive and are forced to stay home. Others are at risk for other reasons and are staying home. Nurses and doctors are really forced to learn on the fly and they're keeping on top of the daily updates and the new ways that they're supposed to use personal protective equipment and the new things experts are learning about the disease in real time. But they also have patients right there that are very literally dying in front of them, and so they have to act and act fast. We all took an oath, and we all have a responsibility to our patients. We met Janet Perez. She's a nurse in the ICU. This is what we were born to do. So even if it's a little scary, this is something that has actually unified us because we're all going through the same thing together. Every time she would go into a room, she would have to come out, she would have to take off her gown, discard her gloves, go to a monitor, change a bunch of things, and then another patient would need treatment and she'd have to gear all up again and go into that room and treat them and come out and discard all that and just do it over and over and over again. So one thing you notice immediately when you go into the ICUs is they have all the IV bags and the monitors are now kind of hanging on these rolling hangers outside of the rooms and the hallways. And that's so the nurses and the doctors can monitor their patients, do a lot of the care without actually having to go into the rooms and expose themselves to the virus. Because every time they go in and treat the patient, they're also potentially getting exposed. We talked to Cheryl Martins, another registered nurse in the ICU. In this situation, we can't be in there that often. We go in when we have to go in because we will be exposed, obviously, and we do everything we need, but each time we go in, it's to let them know, hey, I'm here, you're not by yourself. Maimonides has also had to take the very difficult decision which all hospitals in New York State have now had to take, which is almost no visitors at all are allowed in, basically, unless there's a very extreme circumstance or unless it's the final hours um, before a patient is about to pass away. Life at the end of this, hopefully we'll all make it. We talked to Dr. Monica Gitan. She's an infectious disease doctor. The way that we're looking at what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, the way that we're looking at our colleagues, what's going to be different? There's going to be so much loss, so much life, lost and now it's eye-opening to be right there uh, to help your patients, prepare to help your patients and very little if anything to to give and it's, it's heartbreaking. Positivity can heal a person and I think that's really what nursing is about. Janet was really special to speak to because even in this situation where she was already facing such great odds, she was able to kind of see a positivity in what she was doing and just being there as a human was something she saw as a way that she could help her patients. If someone is sad, 
that will negatively impact their care. I mean, this is pure, in the books, evidence-based practice for nursing. But if someone's happy, and they're positive, and they're joyful, they're gonna do better. Many COVID patients pass away, but you can't determine that others won't do well. And that's what we have to hold on to, is that hope that people will do better. And we have to treat them with the expectation that they will. John Gerberg is a video journalist for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Madalika Sika. Our senior producer is Maggie Penman. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rena Flores, Lena Muhammad, Jordan Marie Smith, Rennie Svernovsky, and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Special thanks this week to Bishop Sand, Lily Cunningham, and Ariel Plotnik. The post director of audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Thank you.